Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. So we're going to be in, in 1 John again this week. We're, we're moving through this. We're going to stay here until Easter-ish. Uh, and, and like Katie just read, we're, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we're going to stop in Romans 10 for a minute to get kind of like a foundation for, for what we're talking about. But in general, we'll, we'll be in, in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, so this is in a lot of ways a continuation of last week. So if you weren't here, uh, you know, if this is difficult for you or you're struggling with pieces of it, go online, watch last week, and it'll, it'll help it make a little bit more sense. Uh, and, and the reason it's a continuation is because last week, John talked a lot about, and we talked a lot about walking in the light, living in the light, and what that means. And then also, what, what does it take to sort of stay in that relationship, living in the light in a continual way? And, and we dealt specifically with confession, repentance, and you know, coming back to Jesus when we take a step away from him. Uh, and so if you lose that piece of it, then this is going to sound really harsh and it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. So don't forget that this comes right after John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Um, and so all of that is, is, don't forget the context that we're talking in is what I want to tell you. Is This is part of this ongoing thought that John is having. And so you know, let's, let's make sure that we're living in that larger context and not getting hyper-focused on one individual verse. Uh, so really what he's talking about this week is how do we know that we have a relationship with Jesus? He's talked about what it means to walk in the light, how we do that. And so he's saying now, how do you know whether or not you're walking in the light? What's the examples of walking in the light that I can point to in my life to say, yes, I do have a relationship with Jesus. I'm comfortable with that. Don't read this as how to become a Christian. Because if you do that, you're going to get confused and you're going to think that the things that you do earn you salvation. So this is not how to become a Christian. This is if you have a relationship with Jesus, this is evidence for that. And, and if you, people get this backwards on a regular basis. Why are you, do you think you're a Christian? Well, I think I'm a Christian because these are the things that I do. Well, yes and no, right? It's not the things you do. It's the relationship you have with Jesus. These are things that will flow out of that relationship with Jesus. Really what we're focusing on today, though, is that what we do says more about our relationship with Jesus than what we say. Like we've heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. Well, actions don't really speak, but they do mean something. And they actually mean more than the things that we say. It's very easy to lie, right? Like the words that come out of your mouth can be not true. It's much more difficult to have an entire life that's consistent in one direction and have that not be true. That, that's kind of a, a, an outpouring of who you are is the way that you live your life. However, Jesus asks for both. If we're in Romans, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so Paul, talking about something completely different, says, listen, the Christian life starts with a twofold thing. It's a, it's a belief in the heart, it's, it's a change of, of heart, and it's also a verbal thing. It's also a thing that you say. So you can't say, well, I say this and I live this other way. No, that's not consistent. It's got to be both. And so this morning, as we're talking about what it means to be a Christian, recognize that this is the entrance point for the Christian faith. It's both the things that you say, the things that you confess with your mouth, and the way that you live your life, the things that you actually truly believe in your heart. And so you can't pick one and say, that's why I'm a Christian. It has to be both. 
And so when we say, what does it take to be a Christian? The starting point is, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I agree with God that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came to earth, that he died on the cross for my sin, that his death redeems me from from sin. It saves me from slavery to sin. It brings me into the family of God. I believe that, not just with my heart, but I'm willing to say that. And both of those things, when I do that, that means that I'm agreeing with God wholeheartedly, both with my mouth and with my heart. I'm believing with God fully that this is who Jesus is, this is who I am, and I want to walk in response to that. It's got to be that whole thing or else it's, it's, not, it's not real. And so John is saying, you can confess, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to show you the things that you have to look at in your life to say that I actually believe this. It's not saying it only, it's also the outflow of your life. And if your life reflects the fact that you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then it will look like this. And there's going to be three things that I'm going to go over these really quickly, and then we'll, we'll dig into sort of each one of them. But the three things are this. These are the three ways that our actions prove that we love Jesus. Obedience, we obey what he said. That's in verses three and four. In verse six, it'll say walking like Jesus, and we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. And then the third one is loving God's people. And so these are the three things that we have to do, not that we have to do to get to heaven, but that we will do if we have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. These are the natural outgrowths of a life that truly, truly believes that Jesus is Lord. So our first action is this, it's obedience. John starts off in, in verse three, he says, and by this we know and we have come, that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So John starts off with, if you know God, if you really have a relationship with God, you will keep his commandments. You will be obedient. It's going to be the natural outflow of actually having that relationship. And when we see no, we're, we're thinking like, no, head knowledge, understand. That's not what John is saying. This isn't knowledge like that we think like you take a test and you pass the test. This is experiential. This is lived. This is the way that we understand someone. What's the difference? Okay. People. <laughs> People are a big part of the difference, right? So it, I say, I know, I know Matt Taylor. You guys don't know Matt Taylor. I know Matt Taylor. Why? He's my brother-in-law, so Sarah's brother's wife's brother. He's my brother-in-law's brother-in-law. I've met him like five or six times in my life. He's a good guy. They live in, in like South Carolina, right? I, they were up this year for Christmas, so we kind of hung out at Christmas a little bit, had a couple conversations with him. Sure, I know him. If he was famous, I would totally be like, I know that guy, right? Like he's that level, you know? And, and if, if I ran into him somewhere, I'd be like, oh, hey, man, how you doing? And we'd sit down and we'd talk for like five minutes, and then we'd move on with our lives. So I know Matt, right? But do I know Jack and Luke the same way? No. Jack and Luke, we live in the same house. They're my boys, Right? Like, I know what time they wake up. I know what they want for breakfast. I know what their preferences are for a million different things. I know, you know, what stresses them out. I know what excites them. I know what they think is funny. It's not just that I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? It's I know them. Like, it's not facts about them. It's how they tick, what they think about, what motivates them, what drives them. Like, I know them a lot better. And what John is saying here is if you know God, if you've experienced God, that you understand his character and you understand what makes him tick and the things that drive him, those are the, the, then, then you will obey his commandments. If you know 14 facts about God, it's not the same. 
We all know some facts about God. We can say, oh yeah, I memorized this verse and I know these three things and yup, I know God. But that's not the same as having an ongoing relationship with him, understanding who he is deeply, having, having communion with him spiritually. Like th- there's a whole nother level of having a relationship with God, really knowing God. So if you really know him, if you've come to understand who he is, then you're going to obey him. Warren Wiersbe says this, obedience to God's word is proof of our love for him. A slave obeys because he has to. An an employee obeys because he needs to. A Christian obeys because he wants to. The relationship between him and God is one of love. So if we really understand God, we'll love him so much that we'll want to do the things that he says. It'll be a desire that we have because we're like, I know him, he's awesome, he's loving, he's perfect, and wow, everything that he says, I want to live out in my life because I know that that's what's best because I know who he is. John actually continues by saying it negatively. If we don't obey God, we don't know him. So again, he's, he's talking to church and, and he's talking to a church where there are people in it that claim to have special knowledge about who God is. That means that they don't get, have to do the things that everybody else has to do. So these people are coming to church every Sunday and they're saying, I know God well enough that we have an agreement that I don't have to obey any of the things that God actually said. I get to do what I want. We don't necessarily have that problem explicitly in this day and age. We don't have people that say, I know God so well that I don't have to obey him. But what we do have is people that sort of say, well, I kind of do what I want and I just kind of assume that God is good with that. Like, I've defined what I think is right and what I think is good, and so that's the way that I'm living my life rather than what he has actually said. And the thing is, is if we're, only, if we're unwilling to obey what Jesus actually said, it's really difficult to say that he, he's on our team or we're on his team and that we have a relationship. If we just ignore what he, he said and the way that he lived his life, we can't say like, oh yeah, we're good. We've got a great relationship. And, and practically, Jesus said a lot of things that we supposed to, we're supposed to do with our lives, and God has said a lot of other things that we're supposed to do with our lives in different spots. And so we look at that. This, this says commandments. It's plural. It just kind of means everything that God has said, those are things that you need to obey. And so what are the things like, that we think about? We're like, well, what are the commandments? We first think like the Ten Commandments. Right? Like, and, and that's maybe low-hanging fruit. That's kind of easy. But then we start to realize that when we look at what Jesus said, the way that he applied it to our hearts, right? it's not that I'm not supposed to lie. It's not that I'm not supposed to want to be deceitful. Right? It's not that I'm not supposed to commit adultery. It's not that I'm supposed to lust. Like, there's a whole other level that Jesus has said. And so when we examine our hearts in light of that, it gets really difficult for us to say, oh, yeah, I've totally obeyed everything and, and we're good. Again, remember this is in the context of 1 John 1, 9. If we sin, the solution is repentance. And like that, that's what we're supposed to do. And so if you've done any of these things that aren't obedient to what Jesus has said, that doesn't mean that you're not walking with him. It's how are you living your life in an ongoing way and how are you addressing it when you do make these mistakes? But the things that Jesus weigh in on, they're, they're so universal. 
They're all the time, right? Like, he, what does Jesus say about integrity? What does he say about honesty? What does he say about sexuality? What does he say about where I spend my money? What does he say about what I focus on with my time? What does he say about, you know, my anxiety? What does he say about the, the value that I place on material things? Jesus speaks to these things, and we kind of know that, and then we say, okay, well, do I meet the standard of what Jesus said? And, and often the answer is no, but we have to realize that if we're trying to live in the light, if we're trying to, to live for Jesus, then we will have a desire for our lives to reflect these things that Jesus called us to do. Not that we're perfect, not that we nail it every time, but that we strive for that, and then when we mess up, we come to him and confess. And so when we look at what Jesus did and what he said, and we see if our lives line up with that, if we say, you know what, I haven't achieved that, but that's what I'm striving for, and that's where my heart is pointed, and that's what I want, and I try and live my life that way every day, not because I have to, not because I'm trying to earn something, but because I recognize that Jesus is God and that this is the best way for me to live my life, I'm like, okay, that would be the mark of a person that has a relationship with Jesus that is trying to go closer to him. And if you say, I don't really know what Jesus said, and I'm not super worried about it, I would say, hmm... I'm not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. And if you say, I actually don't care at all, I don't know, I don't care, and I'm not going to worry about it, I do what I want, then I'm going to say, see, that's, that's a mark of someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know your, you know, everything about you, and I'm not the one that's going to stand before God, and I can't tell you where you live your life, but it sure seems like John says that you don't have much of a relationship with Jesus. Because your actions contradict your words, right? Like if your actions say, I don't want to live like Jesus called me to, then what you say with your mouth kind of becomes hypocritical. And then John goes on, he says, if we know God, then we'll actually obey him. And in him, the love of God is perfected. So obviously, we're trying to line up our lives with what God has said. And then it says, God's love is perfected. And that's kind of weird because we're like, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that God's love gets better? But God's love is already perfect. So it's a little bit confusing. But what John's saying here is that, and there's debate about this. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can go look it up and argue with me later. Uh, but what John, I think, is saying here is that, when we have a relationship with, with Jesus, when we have a relationship with God that's ongoing and, and his love is sort of shining through us, then it starts to change who we are and, and other people can see the love of God in us better and better. We're a better reflection of the love of God. It's not that the love of God is improving because it's already perfect. It's that I am a better vision of the love of God. And so the love of God is changing me to be more like Jesus. And as a result, the people around me can say, wow, I see Jesus in them more and more. And that's not like one of the, one of the tests. That's just the, the result of being obedient to what God has said and living your life in a relationship with him. That more and more, you're going to reflect who God is and the way that he loved the world in, in everything that you say and do. And so God's love changes me for the better as I walk with him as I'm obedient. My first application question for you is this. What do my actions say about my relationship with Jesus? Am I living my life in a way that points people to what Jesus has done for me? Or am I living my life by my own set of values, by my own set of, of truths, 
just assuming that God's good with that. Because if your answer is the second one, John's questioning where you're at with Jesus. The second action that, that John says that, that is a result of our having a relationship with Jesus is that we walk like Jesus. In, in the second half of verse five, he says this, but by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever he says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now we read that abide in him and we're like, ah, that's weird. I'm not, it's an odd phrase, right? Now, if you read a bunch of, of John, like the gospel of John, you'll see this quite a bit in, in his gospel. He uses this, especially in John chapter 15. So if you're weirded out by that phrase, go read John chapter 15. You'll get a better understanding of what, he, what he's saying. But really what he, he's trying to communicate is that we have to rely on Jesus for our every need. It's an ongoing relationship. The, the metaphor that he used in John 15 is a vine and branches. So Jesus is the main trunk of this plant and I'm one of the, the, vine, or one of the branches that's sticking out of this. And so everything that I need daily sustenance, my life, my spiritual health, my emotional health, all that has to come from Jesus. And if it's not coming from Jesus, then I have to question whether or not I'm really walking with him. So everything that I am, everything that I do has to come out, from, have to come from Jesus. That's what it, what it means to abide. Our identity, our spiritual life, these are all things that flow out of my relationship with Jesus. It's, it's a similar idea to walking in the light. It's this ongoing communion, this ongoing fellowship of me and Jesus having this relationship. And so that's really a, a part of what it is. And, and as that changes who I am, I look more and more like Jesus. It's a, it's a really similar idea to the last one. If we abide in him, if we walk in the light, then we will end up living our lives the way that Jesus lived his life, which is to say, for the good of everyone else. <laughs> not what I want, not what I get, not about me. It's about the people that are around me, the people that God's called me to serve, the people that, that God's called me to reach out to. Bob Utley says this, he says, the goal of Christianity is not just heaven when we die, but Christ-likeness now. We're saved to serve. We're sent on a mission as he was sent on a mission. And as he laid down his life for others, so we too must see ourselves as servants. Like Jesus spent his entire life giving to other people, sacrificing himself for other people. It wasn't just the cross. That was the final piece of his sacrifice. But his entire life, he's living because he cared about the people around him and he lived out of that. He lived giving of himself, doing it for other people. Not, not what he wanted, but what other people needed and what God called him to do. So if we're walking with Jesus, then our lives will start to reflect that. We will be more self-sacrificial, but we'll be get willing to give up what we want, what we think we need for what's best for other people. We'll see ourselves as servants the way that Jesus served. And so my, my second application question is this. Do I walk the way that Jesus walked? Do I respond to people in love the way that Jesus did? Do I get bent out of shape? Or do I say, you know what? Jesus loved even people that didn't like him. And so I need to live like that. Do I invest in people the way that Jesus did? Like Jesus spent a lot of time teaching a, a small group of guys so that they could live the way that they needed to. It wasn't about what he wanted, him hanging out with his friends. He said, these are people that need to understand who God is so that when I'm gone, they can carry that mantle on. And so he poured into other people. He gave himself over and over and over. Do I do that? Or do I just do what I want? 
The third action that, that John says is, is to love God's people. Um, and he shifts gears a little bit to sort of give some background on this. And so I want to explain verses seven and eight, and then we'll get to it. Um, so verse seven says this, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So that was super clear, right? It's this new commandment that's also old and also new. So, you know, just whatever that is. Um, <laughs> and so as John is saying this, there's a couple of things that we have to look at. The first is, it is an old commandment for all of them because it has been around for as long as they have been Christians. So Jesus has this commandment. He says, you need to love one another. That's one of the commands that he gave his disciples in John. And so anybody that John is, has taught has heard that right from the beginning. Like they came to Jesus and one of the first things was, Jesus says you're supposed to love other Christians. That's one of the things that Jesus called you to do. So like, okay, that's I guess what I need to do. That's this, this new relationship that I have is, is partially driven by that. So I need to make sure that that's it. So for them, it, it was from the beginning. They had always had this. And to be honest, it's in the law too. When Jesus said it, Jesus wasn't making up something new. He was actually quoting, I think it's Leviticus, where he says, okay, this is what I'm quoting to you and this is how you need to live it out. And so it's not really new. However, when this word new says, it's not new in, in a time way, it's new in freshness. It's, it's, it's not something that's worn out and tired and old. It's fresh, it's, it's relevant, it's current even though it's been around for a long time. To clarify this, I, I, I'm, I'm not a car guy, but cars make sense for me, okay? So is this a new car? What, can I bring, there we go, okay. Is this a new car? This is a 57 Corvette. You're like, no, that car is more than 60 years old, right? It's not new. It's had some work done, right? Didn't come in that color, that's not an original color. So it's not new. But is this car new? No, <laughs> that's a 93 Metro. That's newer, right? Like it's, it rolled off the assembly line more recently than the Chevy. It's not newer. <laughs> like that's probably the original color actually. I mean, the part of it's the red, the rest of it, probably not the original color, whatever. But the point is, is one of those is newer as far as timeline wise, right? It's a couple decades off the assembly line more recently. The other one is like, no, that's relevant to today. I'd be willing to drive that. It's safe. It's something that I'd actually be willing to be caught in, right? Like one of those is a new car in terms of timeline. One of those is fresh and, and relevant and helpful today. So think of Jesus' command more like the 57 vet, right? Like it's not brand spanking new. It didn't roll off the assembly line yesterday, but wow, that's pretty cool. And we're good with that one, right? That's what it means. It's, it's fresh. It's not timeline newness. So the command that Jesus gives is as ancient as the law is. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. But when Jesus comes, he's like, this is actually the way that we live our lives. This is something that's relevant to us every day. It's actually helpful. It's something that, that helps us walk more closely with, with God. And so it's not something that they haven't heard before, but it is something that can help them every single day. It's the same with us. Like, it's not that we've never heard, oh, love, your, love the your brothers and sisters, love other Christians. It's not that we've never heard that before. It's not 
brand new, like, oh, I didn't know that Jesus said that. We all know that Jesus said that. But what it is is, do I apply that in my life? And does that change my life? It's still relevant. It's still helpful. So the old commandment commandment and the new commandment are the same, love one another. Verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So part of this, again, John says these things negatively to kind of help us focus. But part of it is hating your brother is walking in darkness. What John's saying is, is if you have hatred, if rejecting other people is a part of the way that you live your life, you're not recognizing who God is. You're not walking the way that he walked. It's not a reflection of who he is. In fact, if you refuse to have relationships with people at all because you hate them, then John's saying, and people I'm saying here is, is believers, but if you, if you hate your brother or sister in Christ, John's saying, I'm not sure that you have an actual relationship with, with Jesus. Remember a couple weeks ago, Mike had this triangle, right? And, and Jesus is at the top of the triangle. And as we walk more closely with Jesus, we grow, get closer to the top of the triangle. And as other people walk more closely with Jesus, they move closer to the top of the triangle. And the result is that we understand and get along better and better as we draw closer to Jesus together. And what John's saying is, is if someone else is trying to walk with Jesus and trying to get closer to him, and you say, no, I don't want a relationship with you, I'm running away from you, I'm not going to be close to you, then as they draw closer and closer to Jesus, you're further and further away from Jesus. Does that make sense? If that's, the, if that's a hallmark of your life, if that's the way that you live your life, that's a problem. It reflects the fact that you don't want that relationship with Jesus. And down in verse 11, he continues that. He says, if you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness. You're making the decision to not allow the love of God to change your life. You're making the decision that you're going to walk outside of the light, which is walking in the darkness. That's a decision that you're making. I don't want to love this person. I don't want to see them the way that Jesus sees them. I don't want to treat them the way that God calls me to treat them. I'm rejecting that. I'm going to do it my way. That's the decision to walk in the darkness. And the result of that, he says, is that we don't know where we're going, which makes sense with that metaphor. But it also makes sense with the way that we see hatred working out in our lives. Like if you make the decision, I don't like that person, I'm not going to agree with that person, then what happens if they're occasionally right? Even if it's just occasionally, you're definitely wrong on that because you're rejecting what they say based solely on the fact that they say that. That's foolish. You're you're walking in, in blindness. Hatred confuses us. It warps our view of reality. It warps the way that we understand things. There's the old adage is that, that bitterness is a poison that you drink to kill the other person. That's, that's true, right? Like if we hate someone, if we dislike someone, we're, we're messing ourselves up. It's our mind that's getting poisoned. It's our walk that's being impacted. And I want to I caution us here because I think this is an easy place for us to get sucked into. It's an easy place for us to to get caught in because of of the the world that we live in right now. There's a lot of people that confess that they're walking with Jesus, and they have a lot of different views on a lot of things. 
And it's easy to make those opinions and those viewpoints the priority. To say, well, you disagree with me on this and therefore I don't like you and I think you're wrong on everything. Even though we actually agree on who Jesus is and what he's done, but these other things that we disagree with, they separate us and I I hate you as a result of that. If someone has, has... confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart and they're, they're trying to walk in that, then you have to at least give them the benefit of the doubt with everything else. You, you can't just automatically say, yes, I recognize that you think that Jesus is God come to earth that died on the cross for our, for our sins universally, but because you disagree with me on this other issue, you're outside. You're definitely not, not one of us. And I say this, and I, I know that I'm, I'm being abstract. So fine, let's just say it. Is it vaccines for you? Is it masks for you? Is it politics for you? What's the issue that you're like, that one's the line. That one, I don't love the person on the other side. Because there's a bunch of them. Like, I can just keep going on, right? Is it, is it racism? Is it, is it, you know, CRT? Is it the way that we, you know, do church? Like, what's the thing where you're like, that person outside the camp, don't love them? Because what John is saying here is if you're saying that you don't love them, if you're saying that you hate them, where's your relationship with Jesus at? Try this. The next time you're, you're having an argument with someone and you're feeling that like little bit of rage like bubble up inside of you, ask yourself this question. What's more important? Me winning this argument or my relationship with this person. Because here's how how that breaks down. If you recognize that your relationship with that person is more important, then what you realize is, I love this person, I want them to see the truth, and I wanna help them understand what I see. And so you have a, a conversation that's respectful, that's helpful, and you're not demeaning them or belittling them or attacking them personally. It's about, I love you, I want to maintain this relationship, and so we're going to do this in a way that's helpful for both of us, and hopefully you will understand what I see here. If you say that winning the argument is more, more important, if you're like, I really don't care about this person, I just want to win this fight, stop arguing, go home and repent. <laughs> because that's wrong. Like Winning the argument is not important as much as having a relationship with that person. And so if you're going to say, I just want to win the argument, I don't care about the person, you're not loving them, you're not doing what God called you to do, whether or not they're your brother, sister in Christ or not, if winning the argument's the most important thing, that's not how God sees it. God says, I love you, I care about you, that's the number one priority, and after you understand that I love you, we can have a conversation about some of these other things. So if you know the truth and you love the people around you, you can have those conversations and do it in a way that's loving. And if you decide that you're gonna win the argument, what's gonna happen is it's gonna be a shooting war and you're gonna yell at each other and there's not gonna be a relationship and neither of you are gonna be any closer to Jesus. So that's, that's again, that's John stating it negatively. To say it positively, he's saying li- loving your brother is abiding in the light. So when I love the people around me, I set them up for success. I help them walk more closely with Jesus. I help them understand what it means to walk in the light. 
And so what that means is that a part of my Christian life, a part of me living for Jesus is helping other people also live for Jesus. I need to support them and encourage them as best that I can. And again, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, so there's a lot of things that are different about it, right? And so I think some of us need to rethink what it means to love one another. Because it used to be that I could love one another by, you know, just coming to church every Sunday and saying hi, and maybe I wasn't great at it, but I, I could build a relationship on that. And now it's like, you know what? I can, I can really care about some people and not see them for a month because of quarantine and then live stream and then a vacation and then this and that. And it's really hard to maintain those relationships and really be invested in people and care about people the way that we ought to. And so when we see loving your brother and, and helping them walk in the light and helping them abide in the light the same way that I'm trying to abide in the light, it means something different. And so I just want to encourage you, if there's somebody that the Lord brings to mind during the week, send them a text, send them an email, send them a card, talk to them, let them know, hey, I love you, I care about you, and I want to help you as best that I can. And maybe I don't know what that is. Maybe I need to just listen to you so I can understand better how, how to serve you and how to love you. But at the end of the day, we're called to love one another. We're called to support one another. I actually got a call this week. It was from a guy that I'm not super close to, and he was just like, hey, Nate, I was thinking about you. Lord brought you to mind. Want you to know I'm praying for you today. If you need anything, feel free to call me. If you don't need anything, don't worry about it. But I just want you to know I care about you and I love you. You're my Christian brother. That's really encouraging, man. <laughs> That's like you're having a rough day and somebody's just like, hey, man, I love you because Jesus loves you and I want to love you the way that Jesus loved you. Like, That's just better. That's just a better day, right? Like, it's, I'm having a rough day and all of a sudden, yeah, no, that makes me better. That makes, that makes me realize it's not just that Jesus loves me in the abstract, but Jesus puts people in my life that love me. It's just a phone call. It cost him about two minutes, right? Pick up the phone. I didn't pick up. He just left a message. That was it. That was the whole thing. Hugely encouraging for me. And then if you're saying, well, I don't really have those relationships with people, then you need to develop them. If you don't have relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters, you need to, to, to start investing in that. You need to say, I need to get in a small group. I need to start serving in a ministry. I need to start surrounding myself more and more with Christian brothers and sisters that I can help walk closer to Jesus, that I can support. Because it's not really just about me, right? It's about me supporting other people. So my, my third application question is this. How do I show love for my Christian brothers and sisters? And this shouldn't just be an abstract, well, I'm good to people. Like this should be specific. This should be, I actually can think of a person or people that I love and this is how I show them that Jesus loves them. Because again, this is one of the marks of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in the light. So again, to wrap up, John's talking in this passage really specifically about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to walk in the light. We, this isn't how you earn your salvation. If, this is, if you're trying to do this as a handbook for how you earn your salvation, you're getting it backwards. The first piece is, I need to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If that's true, if that's actually true, if I actually have that relationship with Jesus, these are three things that will flow out of it. The first one is obedience. I will look at what God says and I will say, I need to, to change my life in order to be more like that. 
I, I need to obey him the way that he's called me to do. So the question is, is am I obedient? Have I followed the things that Jesus has called me to do? Is my relationship with Jesus reflected in the way that I live my life? The second test of whether or not I have that relationship with Jesus is, do I walk the way that Jesus walked? Do I live sacrificially? Do I give myself of other people the way that Jesus did? Not just do I do the things that Jesus told me to do, but also do I live my life as an outpouring of that love? And then the third one is, is how do I show my love for the people of God? What's the, what's the way that I show my love for the people that are around me? How do I reflect God's love into the lives of the people that I know that I live my life with? Because again, what we do is more important than what we say. The way that we actually act says more about whether or not we have a relationship with Jesus than just the words that come out of our mouths. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he didn't just say it, but he lived it out. He came to this earth out of love and lived a life of sacrifice and love because he loved us. He gave of himself over and over and over and over again because he cared about us so deeply. And ultimately, he sacrificed himself. He died on the cross out of love for us. I pray that as we try and reflect you in this world, that we would see that example and that we would live out our response to it. That we would live in obedience to the things that you've called us to that we would live sacrificially the way that Jesus did, and that ultimately we would display our love in everything that we say and do. That it would be your love that just flows out of us into, into our Christian community and into the world at large. We thank you for, for this book, for the example that, that John gave us and the way that we can test ourselves against the truth of, of your word. I thank you again for this opportunity to worship. I just pray that as, as we sit and reflect and, and worship, that, that you would remind us of the things that we need to be. We pray this in your name.